0: Welcome to Hearing the Pulitzers, a piece-by-piece, episode-by-episode exploration of the winners of the Pulitzer Prize in Music, with hosts Andrew Grenade and David Thurmeyer. Welcome to Hearing the Pulitzers, episode 13 unlucky 13 maybe we'll see where we're traveling back to 1955 and the 12th winner of the pulitzer prize in music a familiar name giancarlo Menotti, for his second opera second winning opera the saint of Bleecker street so this is as i just mentioned this is our first repeat composer and we already uh, spent a while talking about Minotti's life and his relationships and the music that he wrote in the previous episode, The Console, which I think we both liked pretty much. Um, so any new things that you wanna add or anything come to light that you think would be interesting to, to talk about? Because this is a few years later and a few more things happened. So any, any, any things you wanna mention, Andrew?
1: Well, I think the main thing that we held back a little bit of information from last time, basically the second half of his life. We talked about his relationship with Barber and that collaborative relationship um, that they even worked together on an opera. So he wrote the libretto for uh, Barber's Vanessa, which we will get to speak about uh-huh. later. Um, but I think the the main thing that was happening right around the time that he was winning the Pulitzer here for Saint of Bleecker Street was the foundation of the, um, the founding of the festival of the two worlds.
0: Spoleto, right?
1: The Spoleto festival. Yeah. Named after the town where he decided to put it. And he basically picked the Italian town because, Hey, look, it happens to have <laughs> the facilities that we need. So we'll have this festival. Mm-hmm. And I love the idea of the festival of the two worlds, uh, Minotti basically saying, I'm from two worlds. I'm American now. I'm also, you know, European, Italian. And combining those and making a, you know, a festival that speaks to the, Amer- the Americas to Europe, um, and so that's why he also decided to. And we, some of our listeners may know that there's an American Spoleto Festival, which confusingly is held in Charleston, <laughs> South Carolina, <Right. laughs> uh, but you know, a twin to the original that he started in 1977. So, these two very important international music festivals. Um, that he began and very much continued down to this day.
0: I think that's an interesting point, especially in relation to the opera that we're talking about today, because it really does show a lot of his Italian side, or, I mean, it's it's set in New York City, uh, but there's a huge Catholic population, huge Italian Catholic population, and Minotti coming from that tradition, you do see these two worlds of European and American, and one of the arias that I looked at, uh, it talks about, being conflicted or being proud to be an Italian in an American city and kind of figuring this out. So I think it's interesting that this festival, uh, kind of the two different sides here happened with the Charleston festival, as well as in the actual Italy in the Italian festival too. Uh, but there's also a funny story I think that goes, well, I mean it's not funny, but a story that goes along with the <laughs> festival.
1: Always a story that goes along with the festival. Well, the, story happens that um, in the 1970s, Minotti actually adopted a son, uh, Francis Minotti, or Chip, <laughs> as he is known, Chip Minotti, um, and the two of them actually uh, were ousted from the Charleston Festival in 1993. Um, Giancarlo was evidently a little bit too involved hmm. in the direction, and the board didn't like what he was doing. Um, Minotti said to the executive director at the time it's either you or me and so the executive director left and the next year the board said no we like that executive <laughs> director and so got rid of Minotti, especially because he ran up this huge deficit in the budget um, so they brought the old executive director back and he fixed the budget and they kicked Minotti out and the Spoleto Festival continues today but without a Minotti. and then when, he, uh, when Giancarlo died the Spoleto Festival in Spoleto, Italy the original festival of the two worlds uh, he left that to his son Chip, and the very next year they ousted Chip and said, Get out of Ooh. here! So there's no Minotti relationship to the festivals at all now.
0: And interesting, we were just talking before we recorded here. Uh, I didn't realize that Chip Minotti is also is still alive, yeah, is. and uh, kind of had his own career as a promoter and, and being involved in arts entrepreneurship. And uh, it's, it's fascinating, this is something I didn't know. But if you said it was in the 70s, then Uh, Samuel Barber died in 1981, so I wonder. I know they had split up, but I wonder if they, you know, how involved uh, Chip was with Barber as well. It's kind of a
1: yeah, it'd be an interesting question to ask, as I have no idea. Um, I do know that strangely, we talk about uh, Minotti being of two worlds. Uh, Towards the end of his life, he added a third world. I don't know if you know this, but he bought uh, like a mansion house in Scotland. (laughs) The, the yester house and that's actually where he's buried oh. hmm he likes scotland so much so this italian-american composer who is buried in scotland
0: yes i see in the notes here he jokingly referred to himself as mr McNaughty. Which... <Yeah>, that's right <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good i like that <laughs> yeah that's pretty great yeah.
1: but again this it's these interesting kind of tidbits that really i think bring these characters to life to show that they're not just doing the music they're not just you know Paragons of genius mm-hmm. or whatever how people speak that, that that's such an outmoded idea that there are humans who are creating art and they have fascinating fascinating lives that ultimately I think informs the art and I think you're absolutely right that when we look at Saint of Bleecker Street this is a much more personal opera than the console was um, and very much speaks to who I think Menotti was so maybe it's time to move into talking about the the opera itself
0: Telling the Story All right, so looking at the Saint of Bleecker Street here, uh, Bleecker Street, by the way, is a, a great street in the West Village, and I used to walk over I used to go to Bleecker Street Records. I don't know if it still exists, but uh, it was one of my favorite record stores whenever I'd go to New York and I'd find lots of beetle bootlegs and things there. so uh, immediately I was very you know, interest was piqued by the Saint of Bleecker Street, which has nothing to do with the Beatles at all. So by,
1: uh, you might have run into a I, of I, might were, have, <laughs> I might r- have. I might have.
0: Yes, uh, but yeah, like you said, it's more. It is personal, and I think Minotti found that, it, or the way he described it, it was kind of a step up for him. Uh, he thought that the console and the medium and some of his earlier operas were more chamber operas are not right. really substantial in, the, in quite the same way. So he described this one as his first full-fledged opera. And it is very much like that. And uh, the subject matter, it, it, I also kind of it, it kind of makes sense to me given what we thought about in the consul, which remember the ambiguity of living in a repressive authoritarian state, right. but trying to have your own beliefs and trying to, to pull through. This is another one that's kind of a dialogue between faith and doubt and trying to right. figure out, you know, it's very Catholic, but, you know, two, two main characters, and one is, is super Catholic, and one is having some doubts and having some questions, and uh, it's a brother-sister, so it's kind of an interesting pairing.
1: So there's a lot of duality in this opera, which I think really makes it um, charged in that way. It also, I mean, you, you mentioned earlier, it's an Italian family, an Italian-American family, and so there's a lot of kind of biographical ideas that we could map onto this opera, I think, if we really wanted to go deep into Minotti as an Italian-American struggling with his own faith and how that happens to um, play out over the course of the opera and where he lands, where you think he lands. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about, though, um, the story itself, where this comes from, um, because he wanted to write an opera about a saint, is what he said. And so he started looking around and came up with this priest, a a man named Padre Pio de... (laughs)
0: <laughs> Pietra <Pietralesina>, la
1: <laughs> who evidently had the stigmata. Uh, he showed the wounds of Christ on his hands. So he goes to Italy to meet this guy um, and watches him say mass and says the guy's wearing gloves the entire time. And during the mass, he takes off the gloves. And Malati said that he could see the wounds, that they were uh, literally bleeding. He said, I saw the stigmata. I saw the bleeding. He was certainly not a charlatan. Mm. It is very difficult to know what to make of him, but I still feel his presence near when i have troubles my thoughts turn to him
0: wow so i know that's really amazing powerful, powerful story yeah, yeah. Uh, i i didn't even really know what because i'm not not catholic so I, I had to look up stigmata. i mean i thought of stigma which actually is right. is you know somebody says oh they have the, they have a certain stigma about them uh, it's kind of a identifying mark or trait usually not a positive one and so in this case it, now it really makes sense so so, this opera comes out of a, in a way, an otherworldly experience for Minotti, kind of seeing the power, potential power of uh, this religious figure. So, uh, pretty pretty powerful. It was premiered in on almost around Christmas time, December 27, 1954, on Broadway. So, another one that was performed on Broadway, because what the console was too, wasn't it? The console was yeah. as well.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting because. You know, with the console, we talked about that it's a small, it's more of a chamber ensemble, which is more what you probably used to seeing on Broadway. But here he's got a full-fledged operatic, <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a pretty big, substantial orchestra, uh, as well as the the vocal parts, which are clearly, clearly operatic. But there's also spoken dialogue. Yes.
0: Yeah. So it's kind of a mixture of a lot of different things. And, and not only a big orchestra, but a lot of characters. And I'm looking at the... Broadway theater list of characters and my favorite uh, character in the opera is named Her Dumb Son, and <laughs> which was played by Ernesto Gonzalez. How would you like to say, you know, putting on when you're putting your bio together? I played Her Dumb Son in the Saint of Bleecker Street. <laughs> that's that's mer- that's CV building. That is right CV there. building, absolutely. So <laughs> get the resume packed. That's right. For that. Uh, but, yeah, so pretty uh, uh, kind of full, very full type of uh, ensemble and orchestra here. We'll go to one of our favorite sources here, the Pulitzer Prize winners for music. And we have the playbill of the first performance of the work. And the only name that I know, I've never heard of any of these people, uh, the actors or singers, but was uh, Thomas Shippers, who was a conductor. Oh, sure. He was kind of a, uh, supposed to be the next kind of hot american conductor and he did end up doing a lot of opera premieres and was very involved Uh, and he i think he premiered may have premiered vanessa too so uh, Mm -hmm. or somewhere around that Uh, but that that's what i see there and then so yeah the fact that it was on broadway just listening to the piece though i have to say uh kind of a not the natural place for a piece like this i think i I'd, i'd premiere it over at the Met more, given what I hear.
1: It's much more operatic than the concert. Yeah,
0: yeah. And part of that probably comes from the plot, which is, uh, I don't know, kind of, uh, I guess we can go behind the notes here and maybe...
1: Yeah, let's go behind the notes and talk a little bit about the, the plot and then the music itself.
0: Behind the notes.
1: All right, so my favorite description of this plot... Is that it's Puccini's *Swore Angelica* crossed with Gershwin's *Porgy and Bess*? Wow,
0: <laughs> and that's my favorite description <laughs> that I
1: read when I was doing research for this. *Swore Angelica* by Puccini crossed with Gershwin's *Porgy and Bess*, and which, if you think about it, is yeah, fairly accurate.
0: Yeah, *Swore Angelica*. I remember seeing uh, one of my jo- earlier jobs It's all nuns, all uh, one of mm-hmm. the tritico, and it's uh, right. yeah, and very very religious. And then you have *Porgy and Bess* too, so it kind of makes sense. Uh, uh,
1: Well, and it kind of has um, Puccini-esque music in terms of the vocal lines especially, um, but then also has the kind of um, gritty realism that we associate with something like Porgy and Bess, and I think the uh, the American-ness also, because it is, even though it's set in an Italian kind of section of New York at this time, and an Italian-American family, uh, it still is a fairly American story, mm-hmm. I
0: think. Yeah, definitely, especially of immigration too, of coming here exactly and trying to assimilate, trying to keep your, I mean, immigrants keep part of where they came from, and then they have to kind of navigate this new world and new environment, and, and combining right. that together. So, uh, so the plot, it's it's a little strange to me, like it's a little fanciful in some ways because it, it does kind of parallel that pre the the priest that he. Met or the the, with this girl, An uh, Anina, who was revered in Little Italy because she was supposedly able to heal the sick, and yet she also is hearing voices and visions, sees visions, and then receives. Guess what? The stigmata. The stigmata. Yes.
1: Yes, yeah, that's why she becomes the saint. Yes,
0: exactly. So she's the saint, and then what's the deal with her brother, michela
1: Oh, he completely. In many ways, he's the exact opposite. So he's robust and he's healthy, but he also rejects all of the kind of um, religious trappings that are surrounding his sister. And he loves his sister and he supports her and he protects her, um, but doesn't believe in kind of what's going on. And uh, Anania really wants to uh, join the church. She wants to become a nun, to take the vows. And he's like, why would you even do that? There's no reason to do that. (laughs) And so that's the kind of central conflict is between her faith and his doubt, his disbelief. Um, And then, of course, there's melodrama at the end between uh, him and his mistress, (laughs) and he ends up stabbing her and killing her. And as he's trying to get out of town, goes back to see a sister who is dying. And as she is dying, uh, she actually commits herself to the church, and she... Uh, the nuns get this—the symbolic wedding ring, married to the church, married to Christ—and uh, so as she is taking the veil, taking that vows, when she dies, that's the end of the wow. opera. So,
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: again, very kind of Italian in terms of the way that it ends with yeah. the, the main character singing while dying, basically.
0: <laughs> always, always Verdi, Rossini. Always. Yeah, you got to have Puccini. All of them. Yeah, and it, it, not only is it the faith versus doubt, but I think you also get the conflict of the real world coming in because uh the Mm. of having an affair so a mistress and trying to figure out what to do and uh, trying running from the law so you can have all these great thoughts about you're going to live a pure chaste life and maybe that can happen if you're living in a in a monastery or a nunnery but if you're out in the real world you're going to have these issues and you you see these conflicts so like i said the duality i think it's a good way to look at it you've constantly got this battle between good and evil or uh, moral and amoral or things like that coming in here so
1: so i'm curious if you hear that duality in the music
0: i listen to Uh, because well one of the problems that we're going to talk about is there's no video for this so we couldn't really watch it so what i did they're basically two recordings
1: two really important recordings the original cast in 55 um and then actually a live recording from the Spoleto festival Mm -hmm. was this was this
0: pre-kicking monati out or (laughs) this was post Post, (laughs) (laughs)
1: um so those are the two to listen and kind of get a sense and so i listened to a little bit of both yeah a, uh, a sense of how it had transformed in terms of the pr- production and the performance over the 50 years well
0: you can yeah I'll let you talk about that more because what i did was uh, because i didn't It's not too exciting to listen to a new opera for two and a half hours without seeing it and just looking at the score, which I do have. So I found, I looked up famous arias from The Saint of Bleecker Street to see what people would perform or what's in an anthology. And there were two that I saw performed a lot. One of them is mentioned here, sung by Anina, uh, Oh Sweet Jesus, Spare Me This Agony.
1: Yeah, that's the one I really want to talk about.
0: So we can go ahead and talk about that one, then I'll talk about the other one.
1: Well, to me, the interesting thing, and this is uh, where I was kind of wondering if you heard this in the duality, because the chorus is very strong in sections of this opera, especially at the opening. And to me, he uses the chorus almost like um, they're the choir as you're in a Catholic Mm. service, Mm -hmm. like in terms of what they're singing, sounds very much like traditional um, Catholic sacred music. And so you have that on the one hand, and then you have the very kind of uh, secular... Uh, performances of the brother or her and even in some point and so you get this kind of uh, to me that's where you hear the duality is kind of sacred and secular even in the music at some Hmm. point Um, so I just want to listen a little bit to the opening so we have a a bit of the you can hear the orchestra and issues of the orchestra but really kind of the move into the choir as they enter and they're kind of setting the scene for you and telling you um, you know here's this girl she has these mystical visions and so let's listen a little bit to the opening here
0: So what do you think? Well, uh, you hear yeah. it? Am <laughs> no, I stretching? No, I don't think so at all. And I think even the music works that way because you've got a duality of di- really dissonant sections or very dissonant harmonies. Meanwhile, you've mm-hmm. got the the very lush Puccini-esque lyrical type of melodies that we, he- we heard in the console earlier. And it is kind of this battle back and forth. Uh, I, and the questioning all the time, that's the, the lyrics here, uh, where am I? Who are these people? What do they want? What are they waiting for? I can't see. Please make room for me, my Jesus. I'm really just trying to get past all of this stuff and get there. And it's it's very evocative.
1: Yeah, so this aria, the the Oh Sweet Jesus aria, this is the moment at which she is, um, she's received the stigmata and she's seeing a vision as if she is at the crucifixion. Mm-hmm. So it's like this stream of consciousness that the text is like the stream of consciousness of what she's seeing and what she's experiencing. And this is one of those that I would love to see, because I would think that you as a performer have to sell that because the text doesn't give you a lot to go on. I mean, the music does, but the text doesn't give you a lot to go on. And so I think you have to really act what you are seeing and you can't go over the top and campy, which I think is going to be a, a, (laughs) a temptation, even though the music and
0: sound effects, which we'll talk about in a second, could sort of be seen as campy could take yeah. you there they could very much take yeah. you there yeah and that's yeah in fact yeah that's old oh, up to the ending right uh
1: yeah so i i thought it'd be useful for us to listen to like the last minute of the aria so we can hear some of these effects uh, also hear uh, the way the music is really pushing the emotion <laughs> even more than the text um and then the response because i want to a l- little listen a little bit to the church choir as they kind of come in the congregation as they're sitting there right the people who are on the street experiencing her experiencing this um, who are extolling her so maybe we should listen. let me
0: give you a little of the text before we get in here oh yeah so soldier so she's singing soldier soldier have mercy on him for he alone is your savior the nail is held in place the huge hammer is raised
1: ah Okay, so the first thing you hear is that anvil yeah, and yeah. the nails going in, which is just, uh, it's, it's a little, a little... <laughs> over the top.
0: <laughs> Someone in the score here. Just, just a just little a touch. Someone in the score <laughs> wrote, use of nail hammering. in the. <laughs> they wrote that in. That's where the nail hammer comes in, right? When she screams with a piercing cry, she falls back on the pillows with the huge hammer. It, Yeah, I would like to see how this is actually staged because I could see it being very... Kind of kitschy mm-hmm. or campy. You could almost like sort of laugh if it's overdone, even though it's a very powerful moment. And the music is just rising, rising. She's, she's singing a high C. Yeah, it's
1: so yeah, difficult. Yeah,
0: extremely difficult to sing. So, uh, yeah. Uh, <sighs>
1: and throughout the entire aria, I mean, there are a lot of huge shifts in terms of uh, the emotion that she is expressing as she's going. I mean, it's a roller coaster ride. Um, and it's really skillfully done, I think, especially the orchestration. Yes. The way he uses the orchestra really helps, even in times when I think the voice, the vocal line, isn't quite carrying it the way I want it to. to, The instrumentation is there just to swing along.
0: And you mentioned the choir that comes in right after that, and the the choir sings very softly, How, oh, how pale her cheeks, Christ has died. So Mm -hmm. you can see that she was worn out from that whole experience, and they're commenting on this very quietly and then there's a big thud at the end and then look the stigmata look the miracle happened and then it goes from there. So I, I, yeah, I could see, you know, you really could have this be very powerful if it's staged well. And if you're particularly of a religious mindset or Catholic, I think it would really resonate quite well.
1: And I find that interesting because uh, every you know, discussion I found your interview with Minotti, um, he was not particularly religious himself. No. So for him to set this text in this way shows that uh, in some ways, I think he sees himself as the brother, right? Mm-hmm. Struggling with, mm-hmm. does he believe this? Does he not believe this? He's seeing it, but how is it happening and retreating into the world? I, and I think that's kind of, if I was going to you know, map biography onto that. That's where I yeah. will
0: do it. And maybe he also feels that way because then the other aria I looked at was called, I know that you all hate me, which is a great, mm-hmm. uh, great name, great, for a great a title. title there. Yeah. Uh, sung by Michaela, the brother. And he's, he's basically confessing that he's been, he's pushing away his sister. I was always the rebel and the cursed one. Uh, you've always hated me as a child because I was, uh, never asked for love, only understanding, you're ashamed to say I was Italian and for such little gain, you sold your noble ancient dreams. Uh, you're talking about the tentament you foreigner, go back to your old home. So really battling back and forth here between these two worlds of uh, I'm proud to say I'm Italian. And then she turns, she comes in and says, Oh no, I'm actually, no, they're, they're good people. You're a bitter man and kind of goes from there. So, it's it i like that one it was pretty powerful uh emotionally
1: well but one of the things to me about both of these arias is the power really comes from yeah. the music and the orchestra it really doesn't come from the no. text
0: no it's pretty pedestrian the, lyrics <laughs>
1: the text is very pedestrian <laughs> it's a great word they they're not evocative and no. especially you know here is this mysticism that kind of pervades uh, the opera about is this actually happening or is it not happening and you know questioning those ideas and here you have very clearly it's like well this has happened <laughs> you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's not exciting words it's not exciting it's not poetic it doesn't bring out a. it's not very evocative of a text why do you think
0: it was that way it was because he was trying to write for a, another broadway audience or a ta- an american audience because uh, again you've got it, it's it takes place in america whereas the console we don't know it, was sort of vague where it took place. Europe somewhere. Uh, but this one has all the American idioms like, your holy frock it doesn't frighten does. me. Uh, or <laughs> kind of <laughs> funny. Who's having a fight? Kind of very conversational. I mean, where do you? Why do you think it was?
1: Well, I don't know. I think that partially it's because he's trying to write for that audience, right for you know the average person off the street who can come in and experience it and not be off-putting in that way. Um, I also think that he wanted the music to carry it even more than in the console. I think the music really carries this opera where the console is a little bit more balanced in terms of the text and the mm-hmm. music.
0: Yeah, I think that's a fair point. Uh, it uh, To me, to, you know, as we're going to get to hit or miss shortly here, I think that may be one of the potential problems with this piece uh, is that it doesn't, it's not as compelling in the same way, right. maybe partially because of libretto or because of the, the text, it's a little too obvious maybe. And, and yeah, I yeah. think it
1: is. Well, since you mentioned it, let's go ahead and get to hit or miss. Hit or miss. All right. Before we talk about our personal reactions, I mean, we've given some of them, mm-hmm. I think, but uh, let's talk a little bit about how it was received during the time, um, what the reviews were. So it lasted for ninety-seven performances on Broadway, which is decent. Yeah, Yeah. Um, I made a note that Candide by Bernstein, whenever it premiered, it had seventy-three performances in its first Broadway run, which is about the same time Mm -hmm. period. So, but it was not popular in Europe at all.
0: (laughs) Wonder why? It got
1: it got four performances at La Scala. (laughs) It got ten in Vienna, Mm. and the. The critic in the Neue Courier in uh, Vienna said, It is rather astonishing us that Manati's opera called such a sensation in Europe. The character of the stigmatized Anania is too remote to stir up a general compassion. Menotti is a splendid theater workman, but there is an unmistakable banality <laughs> to his work. After 20 years, everyone will still prefer to hear Tosca or Turandot to the Saint.
0: Ooh, that's well, pretty. yeah, clean. I mean, It. it, it, it it shows who the influences were, and and I think if you were to ask people, does. would you rather hear Minotti or Puccini? It's probably going to be Puccini because he's got that style, he got it down. So yeah, uh, yeah. Especially coming looking at it as a European. Now uh, we have to get our our favorite friend, our running light motif, Chalmers Clifton, has to weigh in here. Let's see
1: what they said at the Pulitzer. Yes, yes, he has to weigh in here. Why this ended up making winning the Pulitzer right. Prize?
0: Right. So. Uh, In his letter, dated April 1st, 1955, Chalmers Clifton says, the music jury of the Pulitzer Foundation recommends for the 1955 award The Saint of Bleecker Street, an opera by Giancarlo Minotti. In this, as in other stage works, Mr. Minotti has shown his unusual and indisputable talent in the medium of the lyric theater. The fairly extended run, okay, uh, supported... I understand must be accepted as an indication of its appeal to a public, which is not a strictly musical one, The, mm, the quality of the music qua music and the merits of the libretto might properly be the subject of prolonged controversy, but two of our judges enthusi- enthusiastically approve the work itself and its subject material. In all fairness, it must be admitted that no composition in any category has provoked so much comment, generally favorable, as Mr. Minotti's opera.
1: Hmm. Mm, so the <clears throat> the <clears throat> there it is again. So the jury was in some ways divided by this offer. Sounds like Charles yeah. Clifton was not as no, excited he was not. <laughs> as the other members of the jury that No, year. I
0: think he was damning with faint praise. It sounds like I think he definitely was. And in fact, the second choice. Now here's a good one. Uh, I've never heard of this person before was the concerto for violin by Richard. Uh, the the typewriter is kind of faded out here, but I don't know if it's Bohaupt or Ho something. Hmm. never heard of that never one. Heard. And then the third choice was The Prayers of Kierkegaard by Samuel Barber. So, interesting.
1: So interesting. Barber was up against Against
0: Monati. Uh, Not yeah. this time. So, there you have it. But
1: Well, for how it's how it's lasted, <laughs> uh, I went back to when it Or hasn't lasted uh, in New York. <laughs> yeah, because it really kind of disappeared. It was uh we talked about the only the kind of two recordings that we have. Uh, But in um, 1991, it reappeared in New York, and Bernard Holland wrote a review, and he said, It's shameless, but then one has to admire Mr. Manati's courage to create such shamelessness out in the open, and his huge success at it. His audiences, I suspect, are grateful and relieved. The Saint of Bleecker Street fills up their emotional cavity swiftly and requires a minimum of digestive effort. Perhaps this is truly modern opera, Intended for the listener on the go who doesn't mind a vicarious human feeling or two as long as it hurries up and keeps the threat of true involvement low. The music is unremarkable, Ooh. but it suits the voice. It knows just when the climaxes will work, and every time we drop our guard, its sentimentality bores in.
0: Well, that is uh, not a very positive review at all. So I, I, and that's that is, from, you said, from uh, to, 1991, 1991, so that was 50 years or so after, and it... Uh, yeah, it, or 40, 40 or years so. And Menotti yeah.
1: still would, have, still would yeah. have been alive. So he was involved in this production. Mm-hmm. Um, and evidently it did not sit well in 1991. No, no. Uh, then the New York Times in 2011, Steve Smith, the New York Times, um, said precisely why Giancarlo Menotti's operas have vanished so thoroughly from American <laughs> stages during the recent decades is a bit of a mystery. That this once popular Italian-American composer rejected progressive trends in favor of time-tested formula proved by Puccini, Masagni, and other Italians at the start of the 20th century. Seems to work against him now, which is, yeah. again, kind of pointing out some of the problems that we yeah. were having, I think, with this opera. I think so. Is that it, it doesn't really seem of its time. No,
0: no. And that that's a continual criticism or something of a lot of composers is they're kind of out of their time or they, they seem to be, they don't wear well because of this piece seems to be very much wedded in a particular time or place that really doesn't, didn't exist in 2011 in the same way, probably not even 1991 in the same way.
1: But it's interesting to me that, so this is 1955. So we're just a couple of years from West side story, which trades in a similar kind of, you know, false slang of a community in um new york city but it has weathered the test of time whereas this piece has completely disappeared yeah
0: yeah. and that and that for that reason it makes it hard for us to really evaluate fully because we can't see it although you interestingly pointed out that it was performed in kansas city
1: it was performed in Kansas City in 1994,
0: so... Oh, a long time ago. About twenty twenty
1: yeah. five 25 years ago is the last time it was okay. performed.
0: Yeah, I, you know, looking at it now, I mean, the the, the music I listened to, I, frankly, was sort of bored. Uh, it didn't really, it didn't really do much to me. I thought the console was much better, or was much more a lively piece and more, had much more of a charge.
1: It had much more of a charge, and I think it had more to say to today Mm -hmm. than The Saint of Bleecker Mm -hmm. Street. Um, And I think that's part of it. Minotti, from what I've seen, uh, Minotti was excellent at stagecraft in terms of creating a story that was compelling on the stage, but may not be as compelling just to listen Mm -hmm. to. So I think part of what we're experiencing is we got to see the console. We didn't get to see this work. So part of the charge of the console was also just the staging and the direction that he was able to write into the um, the piece itself—that really, I think, give it that kind of extra oomph that we're not getting here. That's a
0: fair point, and I I think if we did have a video accessible or a recent performance, then maybe maybe it would, you know, actually uh, be more compelling. But I think from all right, yeah. So-
1: so put it down, hit or miss.
0: Uh, I'm going to say it's a miss. Uh, I'm going to say the story to me isn't, I mean, it's just personal, of course. But the the story to me isn't very uh, interesting, and it just feels very dated now, even though some of the themes, I think, are probably still valid. Certainly uh, it, the ideas of immigration, immigrants coming into a new country and figuring out and dealing with old and new world and religion, we're all still, it's still a very, timely topic of faith and doubt mm-hmm. so i think the themes are very still relevant and still present I but i think the the presentation of the music kind of isn't
1: yeah it's a miss for me as well i think that uh, compared to the console or really compared to the other of the Minati operas that i've seen or heard like uh, mm-hmm. a mall and the night visitors or the medium um to me the the music in those is more powerful than it is here that it's, it feels more accomplished. I don't know if it was just that he was reaching in terms of writing. Well, That's the what I was going to say. That it's just, it's just bigger than he was ready for at this right. point in time.
0: I, yeah. Cause those other, those chambers, the chamber opera seem to be where he excelled more instead of trying to be Puccini yeah. out Puccini Puccini, which can't be done. So you, it, it yeah, maybe it just falls a little short. Uh,
1: yeah. Well, that's it for this episode of hearing the Pulitzers. As always, you can find more about this project at our website, hearingthepulitzers.com, where you'll also find links and a short bibliography where you can read more about Giancarlo was f- Trying to dig <laughs> something up something new or yeah. tidbits there. <laughs> you can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter at H Pulitzers for links and trivia between episodes. And finally, join us next episode where we'll be exploring Ernst Talk and for the third time in Pulitzer history, a symphony number three. <laughs> Until then, keep listening.